So, uh, following the the uh, progression of the Eightfold Path, we come to Right Livelihood. And it feels a little funny to be talking about Right Livelihood right in the middle of the retreat. It's kind of in a way belongs to the end of the retreat or the beginning. But we're going to. I am going to speak about it now. And uh, it is a, a very important support for the practice. <coughs> so, um, you know, how we sustain ourselves, you know, is, uh, is a very important. Uh, it's so many hours of one's life are spent working in order to, in order to you know, have uh, food and accommodation and take care of one's family and all of that, health care. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we spend many hours of our life do, um, to support our life. So how we spend those hours is important, what we're doing, whether that's so uh, harmful to people or, or neutral or beneficial is, is very important. And, uh, you know, when we live um, it, uh, and, it, and just to say also, it's, it's uh, difficult to find these days a livelihood that is absolutely, you know, there are people, you know, there are probably quite a few people in the room here who, who could really just say, yep, my livelihood is totally on track and that's great, that it, it can be done. And I think for many people it's a little bit mixed, because somewhere sort of down the line there's something not great going on. Um, even if the, the, the work you're doing yourself is, is, is good. So just to acknowledge that you know, one does one's best. Um, and it's, it may not be absolutely perfect. And the, the purpose really of, one of the purposes of, of um, living like right livelihood is, or practicing right livelihood is, like I say, all of those hours one is spending, the spending doing something beneficial. And also it leaves um, the mind free from remorse, you know. And freedom from remorse is a great support for the path. Freedom for, from remorse brings a sense of ease and well-being and supports the settling and uh, supports the meditation to deepen and the deeper meditation supports insight and insight supports awakening. So uh, right livelihood is an uh, important part of the path. So the Buddha lists uh, these five... <coughs> Somebody's calling. <laughs> so the Buddha lists these five um, kinds of wrong livelihood. I'm just going to read them out. So Have the phone on and retreat. Uh, is it a phone? Yeah. It does sound like a very poor alarm. <laughs> very unalarming alarm. <laughs> um, should we pay attention to it? I'm going to stop after a few minutes. Can <laughs> <laughs> okay, we just wait for a minute? So if it's in the room, I think we can just not worry about it because it's. Nothing happening. I think if it's in the room, we can just sit down and let, there's no, nothing to be alarmed about right now in here.
So, the Buddha lists these five kinds of uh, wrong livelihood. Uh, the first one is dealing in weapons. It's kind of self-evident. Dealing in weapons. Big money-making business. War. It's a big, big business. Dealing in living beings. So, obviously there's the factory farming system. Huge and horrific industry. <coughs> um, where animals are treated as commodities and um, used, you know, and abused for their for what they can produce. And uh, anyway, maybe I'll just go through the list and I'll go into a little bit more. Um, and then there's uh, obviously with living beings, there's also human beings. And uh, you know, we tend to think about the the slave trade as something that happened in the past, but it's actually very much current. <laughs> worldwide, including in this country. So the, the sex slave trade, sex trafficking, and um, um, there, are, there are people, even in America, amazingly, who are slaves, you know, who live as slaves in people's houses working for them with no rights and no money. Uh, so this is happening in the world at this time. And, and, uh, and of course, the children who, um, that's kind of awful. Yeah. Children who um, work really long hours, very hard work to to uh, harvest cocoa beans so that we can have chocolate. So Hershey's, for example, has has just sort of said, yeah, you know, we do have the, we do use slavery, and we wouldn't be able to do the product we do without it. And they're just like out there about it as if it's okay. So. Uh, so that happens, and then the, the, the iPhones with their, I forget what the mineral is, but some very special mineral that's mined by children. Lithium? Lithium, uh -huh. So mined often by children, you know, so, so you know, the slave trade is, is current. It is happening. It also, the prison system, yeah, it's true that, that um, it's, it's uh, in some ways, there's the, the the slave. Yeah, there are many there are many prisoners who work for almost nothing. In fact, many of the people who've been putting out fires this year were prisoners who are you know who've done well and are trusted and and they work for like twenty three cents an hour or something, putting out fires. So that's. Uh, yeah, another form of slavery, you could say. <coughs> so that's... Um, so anyway, dealing in living beings is wrong livelihood. Uh, dealing in meat production and butchery, wrong livelihood. You know, just... Uh, yeah, that would be like slaughterhouses and, and, uh, and cutting meat and, and selling meat. Uh, although the Buddha didn't actually say that eating meat was against the precepts, which is interesting. So that's not considered, a, a, you know, breaking a precept to eat meat. And some people need need to eat meat. Uh, but just to consider, like, where does it come from? If you need to eat meat, think about where's, where's it coming from? And uh, what kind of lives might those creatures have had? And then dealing in poisons. 
poisons are used a lot. I think most, uh, many ordinary households will have poisons in their cupboards of some kind or another. So dealing in poisons and uh, dealing in intoxicants, drugs, alcohol. So these are considered the five kinds of wrong livelihood. <coughs> and um, it's an interesting thing because it's, you know, well, you know, some, I, I know someone, a very, very lovely person, really very creative, very kind, quite strong spiritual practice, who for years worked in a weapon factory because they had more than one family to provide for and, and it was a good job and they, you know, they, they worked in this weapon factory and then at some point they left that job and took a bit of a big risk in leaving the job and, and going for something else that was, that was more ethical and, uh, and is, is fortunately doing, doing fine. And they, what was sweet was that they, their daughter, because one of the reasons they were doing it was because they had several children who you know, needed to be cared for and, and fed and so on, clothes. And, and their, what their daughter said, uh, please, no, please do leave that job. Even if we end up being poor, it's okay. You know, just go ahead and leave it. And, so that's very lovely. So you know, it doesn't mean that you're you're like a, some kind of evil person if you're doing these things. Um, but it it's uh, it's a big compromise, and that kind of weighs weighs on the heart. So uh, and I noticed in um, Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. Bhikkhu Bodhi has this beautiful book. Um, the Noble Eightfold Path, and he's listing in there the, the five kinds of wrong livelihood. And he lists, um, under dealing in living beings, he lists, uh, you know, animals and, sla and slave slavery, and then he, he has prostitution. So uh, when I saw that, I thought, oh, I think that's not quite right, actually, because uh, sex trafficking definitely is in that, in that uh, list. So if you're taking somebody who's, you know, you often you hear about these young girls in Asian countries who are trying to make some money for their family and they go off with some uncle or somebody or other who's going to get them a good job and they end up in a sex slave trade which they don't want to be in and they're basically kind of sold into it and, and uh, much of the money that they're making is creamed off by the... the uh, you know, the people who so-called own them. So this this is definitely that does fit in that system. But there are also people who choose to do sex work as a as a living. And uh, in the Buddha's time, one of his his uh, greatest um, supporters was actually a sex worker called Ambapali, very wealthy courtesan. And uh, there was never any point where he was saying this isn't okay. You're doing wrong livelihood. So I just wanted to sort of distinguish between the sex trafficking and a person choosing to do that as a livelihood. It's, it's uh, been going on forever. It's kind of almost an archetype, actually. It's like there's the nun archetype and the prostitute archetype. <laughs> you know. so, so I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and I don't want to get too awful about it. It's, it's kind of it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about because it's all all of these things are pretty kind of. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of gross stuff behind all of these, uh, this list. But anyway, I'm going to say a little bit. So, um, so it connects with dealing with living beings and, and dealing in production of butchery. So we live at a time when, you know, everything, we don't have to see that stuff. So I, I grew up in the country and uh, my father was really clear that we need to know what, what meat is. And if we're going to eat meat, then we have to know what it is. And so we had to, um, I remember having to, um, I didn't, never had to kill anything, thankfully. But uh, I had to learn how to uh, skin a rabbit and make it into a pie. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, if you want to eat meat, then you've got to know what it is and be willing to do the dirty work, which I think is actually a very good lesson. And so it was not easy to do it, but I did that and uh, made the pie and ate the pie. And it was like, mm. and I carried on eating meat for years. I, I liked meat. And eventually I, I stopped, mainly because of the factory farming system. But I think for most people, you never really, and also I studied catering. Um, and in, part of that was learning how to, you know, like they, they sorry, there's awful imagery, but they wheel in a, you know, a skinned cow hanging up from the legs. And you get a cleaver and you, you cut it down the middle. And then you cut it into pieces and then you learn how, what the different joints are, you know, and how to see where they are and the, where the muscles, you know, where there's a little bit of, I forget what it's called, but you know, a little bit of something in between that muscle and that muscle, and you cut there and it comes apart. Fascia, yeah, thank you. And uh, so, so I've done that, and actually in, in our group, most people were kind of going, yeah, it's horrible. But they all ate meat, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know, if you're going to eat it, this is what it is. So. But we're kind of protected from that a lot. You get these nice little packages, you know, in the in the supermarket of something that's got a nice name that doesn't really look like what it came from, and and even more, you have you know these big um, chains, you know, like McDonald's and Burger King and Kentucky Fried Chicken and those things where you just like go in and you get this nice meal. You don't even have to be, it doesn't even look like you know you don't have to think about at all where it comes from and. You know, when I see those, we used to go on arms round when we lived in San Francisco, and as part of our arms round, we'd go up a street and then we'd cross at a certain point, and then we'd come down the street, and, and where we crossed was there was a Kentucky Fried Chicken right there, and always I, when I see that, I just see all the things that are behind that. So I see the I see the battery hens, you know, that are that are raised in in awful awful conditions, like stuck together in tiny little. Um, enclosures and never see the light of day and uh, and that they're right from the start they never have a life really they're like from the from the egg you know they're, they're incubated without a, a nice warm fluffy mum sitting on top they're incubated and then they're hatched and then the little chicks uh, are just kind of scooped up like just like toys, you know, and then they put, you might have seen some, I don't know, you may have seen imagery of it, they're just kind of scooped up and then they, they have their beaks cut off, or burnt, I'm not sure they're burnt or cut, but they just like, they pick these little bit, little birds up and, you know, and then they chuck them down a chute, and they're just treated like a dead thing, like a, like a, something that's not alive, and then they put it to these tiny little 
areas where they grow and uh, they've, you know, they're fed obviously to, to get nice and fat so that they can make nice chicken nuggets. And then uh, I don't really know what the slaughter process is, but I'm sure it isn't very nice. And then they end up in that store with crispy breadcrumbs. <laughs> yeah. So I just say that because it's so easy to just not be aware of what's behind the scenes. But that is behind the scenes. And uh, because we're not aware of it, it, it remains, that, that system remains in place. And, uh, you know, as, as all living beings need to eat and uh, we can't, and as a human being we can't help but have an impact, have an impact on the planet around us. There's, there's no way around it, you know. And even just like walking around, we're going to tread on things or breathing, you know, things are dying. And, and then also all kinds of creatures are living in us, so, you know, it's like we're, we're part of the system. Um, but it's how we're part of that system that, that's really important. So, uh, just to bring that up because uh, it's easy to be unconscious and not, not care and just it's just the culture, it's just normal and it's nice and they taste nice. And, but there's uh, a lot of dukkha behind those crispy nuggets. Ouch. Behind those burgers and, you know. So just to think about that, and uh, if you do eat meat, to be discerning where you get it from and maybe pay the little extra and eat the little less out of compassion. Mm. Yeah, and dealing in intoxicants, one of my very dear friends who, who introduced me to the Dharma is now a barman. <laughs> Uh, and would love to not be, but it's like uh, sometimes you end up getting a job that you can do because it's something you can do and, and you get stuck in it and it's a living, you know. So, uh, and then, and, but I can see how it leaves this sense of like, mm, you know, yeah, every day I'm, I'm giving people intoxicants. Mm. It's not a good feeling. Um, so anyway, to whatever you may already be doing, you know, if, if you find that what you're doing is, is, is misaligned with the Eightfold Path, do what you can, do what you can to realign it. And uh, if it's impossible, you know, I bet one or two people, it's probably not impossible, but it's, it would be very, very difficult. Um, then you do the best you can to um, bring goodness into what you do. And it also, you know, even if you're you know, practicing right livelihood, also to do the best you can to bring the best into what, what you're doing. So if you're an employer, to really treat your employees well and with respect. And if you're, um, and if you're working for someone to you know, to really like do what is what is required and what is asked, and maybe a little bit more, or at least uh, what is what is required, and, and sort of like to rise up to the job and uh, and to work well with colleagues. You know, not to be just like competitive and wanting to push somebody out or be better than, but to to collaborate, you know, work together. And so that's how we can make the best of our work life, because so much of a person's life is working.
Um, and then there's, uh, you know, what we've done, which is to sort of in step out of the, the mainstream system and live as monastics. And so, you know, one might think, well, that's totally, totally li right livelihood, you know. I, I, I thought that at one time. I remember saying that once in the, in the monastery and, and one of the monks kind of raised his eyebrows at me and, um, you know, saying like, oh, isn't it great, you know, we can live this right livelihood and, and this monk was like, oh, you know, and, uh, and then I looked into it a little bit more and, and um, the Buddha speaks about uh, how important it is as monastics to really practice well, you know, practice diligently and, and, uh, and how uh, he, he describes it as until we're fully enlightened, until we're arahant, we are um, kind of in debt, in debt to the society. So we're, we're living in debt because people are feeding us every day and supporting us every day. And, and, and the way he's putting it is, you know, when you're fully enlightened, then people will get the full result, you know, the, the full good karma of that. And until then, you know, you get some good karma, but not as much as you could get if you'd actually broken through. So I think that's partly like an incentive to the, to the monastics to really kind of get on with it and, and, uh, and not not to just enjoy the, the privilege of, of being supported and, and having a, a life where we don't have to work nine to five and you know, do the taxes, um, but to really make full use of this opportunity that we have and, and that each day, every day, every meal, every time we turn on the heat, every time we walk into our building, which is our shelter, you know, that this is a, this is a gift from people. So, uh, so our, our work is, is our practice, you know, the work of awakening. And uh, the Buddha very strongly encourages us, you know, don't, don't be lazy, get on with it, you know. You have a debt to pay, kind of. So on those lines, I'm going to end with a poem. It's, it's of one of the enlightened nuns called Mutta, which means free. And this again is Matty's um, contemporary <coughs> translation. This is Mutta speaking. One morning, after begging for my food, looking down at one more meal I hadn't worked for, hadn't paid for, hadn't earned. A life of debts I could never repay, pushing in on all sides, like the weight of the sea. I blinked, and a tear fell into my bowl. Would it always feel like this? Just as the moon rises up from the bottom of the sea, a handful of rice lifted itself from the bottom of my bowl and my heart rose with it. I wish I could tell you how it tasted, that first bite of food as a free woman. Okay. So we can sit for half an hour. <coughs>
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.